International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series, Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers. Patrick Guyton's meteoric rise to fame in so short a time span is the result of several factors, but mostly it's due to the sheer beauty of his paintings. There really is no other artist creating work quite like it. Guyton paints on precious metals by painstakingly hand-applying gold, silver, copper, platinum, palladium, and variegated leaf tiles onto specially fabricated aluminum panels created for him. He then transforms these alluring surfaces into some of the most astonishingly beautiful and sought-after paintings created by any contemporary artist of our time. In this segment, Patrick discusses the skills he developed apprenticing with his father in the now-extinct profession of sign painting, his experiences while being mentored and trained by some of the greatest masters of animation art, the evolution and demands of his extraordinary technique, and the remarkable story of his transition into fine art and his rise to fame on the verge of complete financial collapse for him and his family, and it's an amazing story. This is Behind the Artist. It's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Maura Shapiro, and I hope you enjoy this journey into the art and life of Patrick Guyton. So, Patrick, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to have you here. Um, so we've known each other now for, I guess it's been about four years now yeah. that we met. We met for the first time um, overseas somewhere. Was it in Asia or something? I think the first it was time in, we, we yeah, met you? it was an Asia trip. Yeah. A very good one. Yeah, it was really way. cool. Yeah. And we had no idea what it was going to be like to, to show your work and how our, our guests and collectors would receive it. And the show was like spectacular. You know, we sold like every piece or almost every piece. And we were just like, wow, this is like crazy. Yeah. So how do you feel about, you know, the fact that people respond so positively to your work? That's got to be like a crazy, crazy thing. you got to pinch yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's something to get used to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's been many years where that hasn't been the case, <laughs> uh, but it, it's interesting. Like even today, and I still don't know how to quite deal with this. But even today, um, as we were doing the photos um, with the guests after they bought your art, they take a picture with correct. you. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So like immediately yeah. after the auction, we were taking some photos and. Um, uh, a lady came up and and she said that as she was winning the the auction, as she was bidding on a piece, she she won it. She started to cry, and then as she was telling me that she started to cry because it, the piece touched her so much that then she started to cry while we were taking the photo. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you know, you never, you, it, it's weird. And and I think a lot of people wonder what you were thinking at the moment when you're making something in order to, that someone's going to cry. And it's, right. it's not so much the case as it is just like anything, you know, people are responding to it because it's, you know, it's touching chords in their own heart, not you, so much something I meant it yeah, to be. Yeah, you but can't it, quantify it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that that's the difference between the artistic process and the aesthetic experience. Mm -hmm. You know, they meet in the work of art, but yeah. in many cases are not related at all. You yes. know, you're thinking about yeah. the nuts and bolts of making the art yeah. and the specific mixtures of the colors and the, yeah. the, all the challenges and the, and you know, you're fighting against the materials and that, that's, that's work, you know? True. And then true. when you finish it and you put it out there, people respond to it and, and 
they're absorbing, you know, all sorts of their own associations and bringing those associations yeah. to the work and yeah. the beauty and the aesthetics. I mean, that's I love that that distinction. I, I think a lot about that. And I write about it sometimes. The the difference between the artistic process and the aesthetic experience and how they're the they're they're related, but at the same time they come from completely different completely. <laughs> directions. I think so many uh, out of all the training I've had in different aspects. I've always when I when I go to work I go to work in a very um, technical mindset mm -hmm. or like a um, a design mindset or I try to stay within the, yeah. the realms of design uh, you know structures and that kind of a thing as much as I can and right. and it, you know sometimes people want to hear a, a real ethereal reasoning behind you know, something that was made, and I wish sometimes I had one, other, other than I was following, you know, the triangular, you know, or the oval, right. or, yeah. you know, whatever. They want some profound They really answer. do, yeah. and yeah. and yeah. I, yeah. I, at that time, I kind of feel bad, because I wish I had this real beautiful, <laughs> you know, and, and, and sometimes they're interlaced, you know, like, I do a lot of hummingbird pieces, and, and you know, when I was thinking about you know what is I'd like to put something on you know some leafing that would be that would kind of go with it things that marry and merge with the substrate of what you're doing and you know certain things work certain things don't and I thought you know hummingbirds uh, that, that would be I think very similar to the leaf itself as it just kind of floats in midair and mm -hmm. and uh, and many people you know have a, a real connection with hummingbirds yeah. and they and I think that it seems there's such mm -hmm. meaning in the piece when one is made, designed around right. whatever someone views as, you yeah. know, hunger. Right. Uh, and, and I get it when I see the, the, the piece finished and, and how it comes out, I, I get that feel. Mm -hmm. But when it's being, when I first started to think about making that, um, I was quite literally trying to find something that equated with the leaf. But then, quite literally, as I was pondering, I opened up. A peach snapple at the moment of that that mental conversation, and the lid had uh, fun fact number seventeen is hummingbirds weigh less than a penny, <laughs> and so I thought that's profound. It's profound in a weird way, you know. <laughs> you and have I, to in involve snapple in there. I, I, I presume you still have that lid. <laughs> it's nailed to my to a cabinet right above my station. I, yeah. I do that. I, I do definitely that. still that, have that's it. Definitely, that's cool. Well, the, whole, the hummingbird thing, you know, to me, they're like this most mysterious of creatures. Yeah. You know? They're almost mystical. They, yes. you know, they come in and they and they come out and they're, the, the speed at which they, you know, yeah. they fly and their wings and the way yeah. they move and stuff. They're like, wow, you see hummingbird. And if you're lucky, if you can see it for more than, you know, 30 seconds and yeah. they're gone, you know, yeah. so there's something really special about it. And them. they have that haunting nature about them. I don't know if you've ever, like, had that feeling where they're almost stalking you or they're, I mean, they're, they'll, you know that will come and hover you, you know, kind of give you a low flyby and then check you out. And, you know, so they always feel like they're taking notice uh -huh. of you. And right, right. So, well, they're, you know, like they're, you said, they're mysterious. Me they're measuring you in the nectar meter. Yeah. I think that's what's going on there. So um, I think it'd be a good idea if we started right at the beginning because I think your story is so fascinating. You know, I, I love, as an art historian, I love reading about the twists and turns of people's lives. And everybody, all of our listeners have a similar situation where the twists and turns of their lives and happenstances and chance encounters have shaped the people they've become and the career paths they've chosen and what's happened in their lives. But I love uh, hearing that, those stories from artists because to me, uh, artists are such um, 
they're, they're heroic people. I don't mean to be, you know, sappy about yeah, it, yeah. but I, they really are. To walk the walk of an artist and to make the sacrifices that you people make to do something which doesn't really have any practical use. It's only a, a, for the benefit of pe the enhancement of people's lives and, and spirits to work as hard as you have to work. And your work is like so rigorous. It's so beautiful and it's so hard to make your work. It takes so much effort and and, and uh, you know, the materials and uh, it's it's a super high bar. Mm -hmm. um, I find it so fascinating in particular when I get to talk to people like yourself and you can tell us your story about what happened in your life and how you got to where you are today. Because you really, you've only been a professional artist for how many years now? I mean, full-time um, working full -time professional artist. Full-time fine artist yeah. for probably 10 or 11 years in fine you, art. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Commercial like, art. Yeah, all my, almost yeah, all my working life. life. Yeah, but I mean, as far as like <laughs> yeah. making art just for the consumption of the of people who love your work, yes, that's an amazingly yeah. short amount of time, especially for what you've achieved. I mean, you're a you're a household name, and people pay. I mean, we've sold your paintings at you know sixty sixty five thousand dollars. You know, I mean, you know, for a young guy, you know, who's been making art for ten eleven years, that's extraordinary. Yes. It speaks to the quality of your work and how much people adore it. They don't yeah. like it, they adore it. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to the beginning. So it's like the suburbs of Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Small town, right? Small town. And your siblings, you have a sister? No. I think? No, you're no. only child? Really? Only. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm only child, too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so your parents are awesome. I met your, your father, and I think I met your mom. I yeah. Think, yeah. I might have met your father. And they're just cool, like, wonderful, you know, great American people, great American family. Yeah. And uh, your father was a sign painter. Yeah. And what a what a wonderful craft and skill that he had and he imbued in you this great sense of discipline. Yeah. And you know, a sense of craft and, and craftsmanship and, mm. and excellence in your in the work you do. So start there. Tell me about your dad, tell me about your family, tell me yeah. about your childhood and what, what he did and what he continues to do for you. He he was uh, you know sadly he was um, a I think a better fine artist. Than he was commercial artist, mm. even though he was a magnificent yeah. commercial artist. But he didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. But you know, in the what then would have been the early '60s mm -hmm. for him, uh, he he his his fine art skill was was, uh, and you know, who's not going to say that about someone in their family or their kid or their you know something? But but truly, if I saw it from afar, I would say the same thing, not even knowing who it was. It was truly truly beautiful work that he did but you know practically with a with a early 60s and you know and uh, having a new kid and I was born in 64 so uh, he had to kind of you know do what I laugh about doing when you know when we're talking about you know the future you know the whole go get a job honey thing you know in the latter time uh, you know, he had to do the same thing, so he started working. Uh, he did his work for uh, cement companies. He worked at a, a stone quarry. He did the, you know, he did all the things that I tried to avoid, but he did that and tried to maintain some sort of art craft that never really had an option to bloom or go anywhere. So he ended up uh, getting involved more with commercial art because he was a fan. He, he, he I remember. Uh, he actually got high. He went to get a job at, at a place, and he filled out a, a resume, and they didn't hire him for the job that he was applying for, but based on 
the beauty of his handwriting. They hired him for an office job where he, you know, because this is before computers. So, you know, you know when, when you were relying on people's handwriting to relay, you know, <laughs> documentation, you want some good handwriting. So he, 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 handwriting. he was hired for a completely different job just based on how beautiful his handwriting was. You can't even imagine that happening today. You no, can't even imagine. That's even a, even silly. A, it would never yeah. occur in your mind that somebody, that you'd hire yeah. somebody for their handwriting. It's, and, that's you know, crazy. He has that draftsman right. yeah. print. Uh -huh. And I, I remember even as a kid trying to to copy the style of his handwriting yeah. and, and just how he made letters. And, and you know, when you watch someone do writing, he just writes freely, not even yeah. thinking about it, and it comes out. And, and it looks like it's printed, a mm -hmm. printed page. So, you know, even in that, at that degree, his, his, he had these talents. And, you know, but he had to be a working class man and, and provide for the family. Yeah, and, right. you know, my mom did the same. Uh, my mom taught calligraphy at the oh, YMCA. Really? Wow. So my mom has a beautiful, beautiful calligraphy script. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, she taught that for many, many years. How did they meet? School. They went to high school together. Wow. They'd been high together since yeah. high, early high school, yeah. I think. Wow. But uh, two different sides of the tracks. You know, my dad was... They, they still call him a whitehead, you know, from my mom's side of the family was the uh, other side of town where the Italians were, you know, so my dad lived on the North Hill where, where every, you know, they say there's only two kind of people in the world, Italian and non-Italian. Non <laughs> so my dad was, you know, redhead uh, and all that, so uh, my mom and him kind of coming together that he was always received uh, into the family, you know, this big Italian family and my uh, or he, he had the name adopted as Whitehead, so he was known as Whitehead. For Whitehead. A while. <laughs> but anyway, you, you know he's, uh, you know, between the two of them, and the the skills they have, just down to simple things like you know, when you can have clean handwriting, it almost goes uh, mm -hmm. out from there. Yeah, so yeah. now, did he yeah. take you to work with him when he would yes. do assignments and stuff? Is that uh, you helped like apprenticed him in the beginning? Yeah, he. Uh, he was hired at for the local power company. Uh, it was called Penn Power for, in Pennsylvania, and uh, he was put over a display department. So, if you remember, you know when companies used to have display windows, you know in the downtown areas, like little towns, mm -hmm. stuff like right, that. And he right. would put up displays and create the displays. And uh, uh, I would go with him, and he had this just amazing workspace studio place him and one other guy worked and and it just had it, it had all the stuff it had everything you needed mm. it had a carpentry shop a spray booth it had uh, all the drafting tables and paints and inks and I mean just it, nice. it is it was the Disneyland yeah, of art right. you know yeah, right. and I would get to As go a kid, up there and, be like magical for you I bet and, yeah. and just literally just yeah. just go grab go things grab something and you just and make something go yeah. so I and he he took the time, and I was able to literally use every station, everything in wow. there, uh -huh. from very young wow. on. So really? Really? it was uh, it was interesting. But like you said, the word discipline. But you know, as a kid, that's one thing you don't really have much interest in is discipline yeah. in anything. Yeah. I see that in my own kid, and I'm sure you right. have in yours, where right. where you start doing something and you just want some immediate results, mm -hmm. and you know, learning that you have to 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 create those results through time and through muscle memory and through, yeah. you know, seeing yeah. this and that. Um, 
it, that was the hard part, and it was kind of the part that I, uh, I just I remember not being that interested in. You know, he would grab a pinstriping brush and say, "Make ten thousand lines." Mm -hmm. Like, you mean over my lifetime? He's like, "No, this afternoon, ten thousand straight lines. Right about then, you're gonna start getting good." You know, so it, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that thing that he kind of pushed, especially with hand lettering and yeah. and that type of thing. Le hand lettering is amazing to how lost it is when I when people ask me about it now and you know back home and we're goofing around in the garage or in my place and we're you know how do you do this and how do you hand and you give them a brush one the brush alone you have it has takes a skill to hold the brush you know this way or that way you have to drive the brush mm -hmm. you know when you're making turns in this so your your fingers are actually you know making you know, you're, you're turning the broadness of the stroke, you know, all mm -hmm. that type of thing. And right. then you're using the side edge as a straight line right. or as a, like a yeah. very fine, fine line, mm -hmm. pulling out old English or Gothic, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, lettering. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. you know, the, the skill that it takes to kind right. of pull that off. And one stroke, too. It's, <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. like you like you call it a dedicated stroke. That's yes. the term you use. Yeah. Yeah, dedicated yeah, because, stroke. you know, there's not a lot of erasing when you're <laughs> hand lettering or something, you know. <laughs> you, you've got to nail yeah, that thing. Right. So it, practice. It, that, was a, that was a source of uh, early discipline. Um, but I think that just panned out from there. But it was kind of the, the, launch, pa the launch pad of um, early training and crafts that are no longer really yeah. in existence outside yeah. of small handfuls here and there no it's extinct Come on, let's yeah let's it. just yeah. face it <laughs> it's the ghost yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gone yeah, yeah. It'll never to return yeah you know, there'll be some sort of niche you know like um like a vinyl record type thing you know <laughs> it'll be like the, the club of calligraphers yeah. club or something well right? like you said completely useless <laughs> in the world today is this is this trade and craft trade. it has yeah. absolutely no need it's right. almost as bad right. as a calculator yeah you know? And then your, your father, you know, it's, it's so ironic because he's teaching you this skill because he wants you to have something to fall back on in your life to make money, right, yeah. to support your family. That's, that was the, that's kind of the, the point. Irony, yeah. that, you know, that he, create, he gives you this amazing skill that you can't do anything with. It's and son. Completely, you know, <laughs> son, whenever you need to make a buck, you can always pay the you imagine today? You can always pay a for sale sign somewhere, right? I swear to you, man, that, that was the mentality. Could you imagine today? I'm sign painting down to my boy, or my girl, or whatever. You yeah, know, yeah, and, I'm going to go paint 100 for sale signs. But or, oddly or enough, just push this button and print them yeah, out, or push this button. Yeah, and you need no skill except yeah, pushing yeah. a button. Well, thank God it, it, it that happened. You know, it's yeah. it's um, it must be amusing to him to some extent. Oh you know, when he thinks gosh. about it back in, in retrospect, the irony of that. You know, but but, hey, uh, but real quickly, you think about all the guys. Especially like um, when you think about, uh, like you and I have talked in the past about you know the, the background artists and animation and yeah. those those guys. I'll guarantee you, every one of them know how to letter. Mm -hmm. Every one of them know how to drive a brush and know yeah. how to you know the the, yeah. the basic schematics of right. of pulling lines mm -hmm. with brush like that. And 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 it was just part of what you learned in that in down that avenue yeah, you know yeah. it wasn't the the fullness but it was it was something that you also had to know uh like in sign painting you had to know how to do uh, i remember when we uh would would do banners and signs and billboards and uh have to paint someone's face and portrait you know mm -hmm. 10 foot by 40 foot yeah. and and then you have to you know pull the lines and you know stripe it and then you have to letter it and then you have to you know, the layout and the design and the balance and the, i mean mm -hmm. and, and again 
push a button now, and then, you yeah. know, you, yeah. you, it's just simple. But sliding around on the screen, crazy. Yeah, um, interesting. How, how the times have changed. Uh, how the digital revolution has transformed so much of our world. Yeah, completely. Uh, Taken a lot away. Helped a lot. Helped a lot, but taken away yeah, a lot. Yeah, double-edged sword. Well, that's why I'm, I'm a zealot, you know, about trying to look back at the things, having lived in the analog world and the digital world, having a foot in each of those worlds, yeah. to try and see the things that were in the analog world that need to be maintained and, and brought forth into the digital world so they're not lost. Those are the things that I'm a, a zealot about, Correct. particularly when it comes to art. And art, I yeah. think, is one of those things that, you know, we have to be really adamant about. I always tell the story about, you know, going into the... Um, the Rijksmuseum and looking at the Night Watch, the, one of the greatest greatest pa- paintings ever made in the mm. history of the world, is a triumph of human creation. Yeah, and seeing you know fifteen or twenty young people sitting on the bench in front of the painting, this 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 great achievement of human history, <laughs> all texting. Yeah, every single one of them texting. Yeah, not, not one person looking at it. Frightening. You know? Yeah, I get like slept in the head. But we digress. Yes. Um. So you go uh, after high school, right? You decide to go to California, right? Is that how that stopped happens? Stopped over in, stopped, in, in I took a quick stop in, in uh, yeah, I lived yeah. on uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Maryland. Uh-huh. Worked in D.C. Okay, what did you do there? Drove a, uh, oh, that's right, you drove a, I drove a furniture yeah. truck for yeah. a company. Yeah. I used oh, to t- pick, pick I, up stuff. From, I heard that story last time for the first time. Tell know. that story, yeah. That's I, great. I drove a, a, a furniture truck. A friend of mine from high school got a job at a furniture place. I was, you know, right out. I needed, you know, realize, you know, should probably get a job, uh, more, better job. And uh, I went and drove this. I got hired, started driving the truck, and I would go down to North Carolina, usually pick up furniture at the Bassett Warehouse in North Carolina. Bassett Furniture. Bassett Furniture. Yeah, uh-huh. They'd load up the truck, and I, it was funny that when I first did it, the guy, the, the guy who owned the the, the the story. He said, "Do you know how to drive a truck?" I said, "Drive anything you got, man. He, he, give me a key." He goes, the, "The truck is parked in the gas station parking lot, up uh, one block behind the building." And I was thinking, "Why is it not parked at the building?" And I went and I went uh, and I'm looking for this truck, and all I have is a key. And I'm looking around, and there's I'm, I'm waiting to see this little truck. You know, it's like a full-on <laughs> truck, a... truck, <laughs> truck. You have know? you ever driven a truck before? <laughs> not that big. <laughs> I was. I remember walking up to it and putting the key in, thinking, "God, I hope it doesn't open this door." Click, opens the door. Oh well, man! After about you know twenty minutes of trying to get out of the parking lot, uh, I uh, I was into it. So uh, I was driving back and forth, and on one trip, um, I was coming back, and I was on the Beltway. I was in the third lane, which is some close to the middle, and I, the truck literally just froze up and died right there <laughs> traffic was bumper to bumper and i'm just and that was you know i've had i had no california traffic experience at that time so that was as worse as i've ever seen coming from little pennsylvania town you know or small pennsylvania town. so i re- i really remember it that at that that was the one juncture i and oddly enough uh i radioed in and they were they were gonna send somebody to uh to help me I got uh, another truck came up behind me, big rig, and pushed me off the side of the road to get me out of the traffic. So I'm sitting there waiting, and they, and they said on the radio that they'd be out probably it would take three hours or more to get oh. out there due to the traffic and all oh, that. Man. So they said just to, you know, I'd kick back and 
Um, it wasn't maybe an hour after that I got a knock on the passenger window of the truck and some girl climbed up onto the truck and she's holding onto the mirrors and she's uh, I rolled down the window and I said what, what, what's the matter you alright and so she was asking me do I know how to get over and are you okay and, blah, blah, blah. and as she's talking she keeps looking to the back of the truck like this and she's talking 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 and she looks back to the back of the truck and talks to me keeps looking to the back of the truck and I thought, and it didn't dawn on me immediately, but all of a sudden I thought, they're ripping me off. They're robbing you. Right? And yeah. so I I jumped up and I, I got out of the thing. She took off, um, and they were trying to get into the back of the truck. And wow. there was a lock, but they, they, did, they were trying to snip it off, and yeah. I guess they couldn't get it or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. by the time I got back there, they bailed. They got in the car and took off. Yeah. Not wow. they were going anywhere fast, but at that point, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so I got back in, the, back in the truck and I really thought, and I was sitting there thinking, this really just sucks. What am I going to do? And so I literally thought, I'm going to go to art school. <laughs> Epiphany. It was, that, it was a magic moment right there. And I thought, yeah, I think art school. Screw this. It's really, really sounding good. So uh, I literally, I left D.C. very shortly. I mean, maybe a week after that, and that was it. I was and like, you went uh, to Los Angeles. Uh, no, back oh, to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania went yeah. to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Okay. Back when they actually had a fine art program. Right. Which uh, they do not have any longer. Um, which I was told. I ended up calling down there and I asked them because I was actually referring people there that weren't mm. able to. They said there's no fine art program, mm. and I thought, how can there not be a fine art program yeah. anymore? I mean, yeah. it was huge. Yeah. I called and found out, yeah, they canceled it due to lack of interest. So now they teach cooking and photography and fashion design and whatever, you know. And uh, the fine art program is just no more. But, uh, you know, then you think about it. And it's like, what are you going to offer somebody after they graduate from going to a fine art fine school? Are yeah. they going to have some kind of, yeah. you know, we used to have a portfolio review mm-hmm. when you would get done. And, you know. You study art history too? or just Oh, yes. Yeah. Art history was kind of the one of the things that tie in with what I'm doing now just based on the fact that you know a lot of that world I was obviously not exposed to really anywhere else mm-hmm. so um, when it was in study that was always something that stuck out to me and I, I always remember looking at a lot of um, leafed work and you know no, no matter really what region it came from I always thought it was beautiful whether it was you know Greek and Byzantine or Asian or Germanic or Italian, you know, all the different, you know, I, when you and I were in uh, Russia, uh, in Russia mm-hmm. I noticed such a difference in the way the leaf was applied and how it was worked into pieces. Um, a lot of the icons in Russia. A lot of the icons, yeah. but but not not so similar to the ones that were, you know, the ones you that were Grecian made mm-hmm. were, they, they were kind of a lot different. I think, you know, you could actually see the, the I don't know what it was. It just it was it was interesting to me that it wasn't done with the same with the same impact as a Grecian one. It was almost just done under under. I don't know whether it was a communist type thing that that was over an artist in the region or or how that would tie into it somehow or the pressure they would feel in, in, under that different circumstance or, um, but it just seemed a, a really different to me in comparison, yeah. but. Yeah. I love all those different applications of that and learned about them and and I love how you can take you know in this case 
the 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 leaf work and how it can be used in so many different ways so, you know some in similar means but but so many different uh, personalities to it no matter what, what you know the region that you're in yeah, yeah. you wouldn't think that you think leaf is leaf yeah you know or look egyptian style you know it's leaf mm -hmm. but it's just a whole lot thicker yeah. <laughs> you know right. when you're beating something into a plate yeah. and wrapping right. something with a plate right. Right. Oh. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's it's um, it's it's borders were were a lot farther and wider than I expected mm -hmm. them to be. You know? yeah. Interesting in the cultural differences that occur based on where it's the origin. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's imbued with its cultural characteristics yeah. too, which is interesting. The discipline in the Asian culture with it is astounding. I mean, when you really you could you could strike a line across you know some of the largest you know panels and the 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 the, the grid pattern that they're able to keep in there mm -hmm. is, is almost flawless mm -hmm. and to do that uh, going back you know thousands of years mm -hmm. is amazing yeah. how consistent that look has right. been mm -hmm. and and uh, you would think something would have gotten better or something would have you know and it's just been the same you know beautiful work for, yeah. for the length of it yeah you know? yeah the fascinating isn't it the craftsmanship of yeah. times past and you wonder um, why that was, and I think about that a lot when I look at works of like Albrecht Durer, for mm. example, one of my artistic heroes. Yeah. And I look at just this just astonishing, you know, virtuosity. Yeah. The guy lived to be fifty-six years old. Yeah, he was on the planet for fifty-six years. That's all he was here, and yet he was able to achieve this just most mind-boggling virtuosity yeah and you got to wonder like how do you have enough time to, you know in such a short lifespan to be able to achieve that level of dexterity and brilliance and excellence and whatever yeah. they did same thing with the you know the, the leafing the Chinese are you know amazing culture too I don't know is there is there like equal amount in China as well in Japan yeah pretty much across the yeah. board yeah. different stylings different yeah. application to the to what's on them you know mm -hmm. obviously is the main difference yeah. but uh, even when we when we were in Vietnam there was the you know more of their take on it which I saw the smaller squares mm, you know yeah. it's not so much the larger the larger you know patterns um, they were like inch and a half by inch and a half uh -huh. and I saw tons of, of work in different places that I went into that were that were a lot smaller and it, and I thought you know what that's a that's a really neat look so I I started to adopt that into a few of the pieces uh -huh. that I have too or that I'm using like a inch and a half leaf. by inch uh -huh. and a half yeah. uh -huh. it's way more painstaking <laughs> to say the least to to put it down uh, and it is I mean quite literally the labor of applying it is probably the most underrated thing about it that there could be <laughs> well it's, it this, is not this, easy <laughs> this is a good point yeah. uh, i think to talk about your you know the leafing technique so we don't because maybe some of our listeners are, don't they're not as familiar with your work or yeah. don't know in what capacity you use that we can go back to your you know your your past so tell us about you know what is it that you do how do you use gold and silver and, pl and platinum sometimes yeah. and copper and all these wonderful metallic materials in leaf form how do you yeah. use them how do they apply to what you do um, I, I try to think about um, bringing something I think back to the forefront that has just gone underappreciated or it's only used as decor uh, as far as uh, you know taking print work or taking some other means and just applying a square here or applying a little you know adding some over here I wanted to try to you know bring a, a a way to reinvigorate it as a substrate itself mm -hmm. and then work on that substrate and so 
each piece is literally hand leafed, whether it be gold or silver, copper, platinum, palladium. Uh, variegated. Variegated, which is a newer style uh, leaf that's available. Um, that's probably the most, uh, as many as I can get. Mm. I mean, obviously there's random tones mm. and tonalities and different right. golds. And, 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 yeah. and weights, thicknesses, yeah. thicknesses, the amount of precious metal in each one yeah. vary. Yeah. And I try to stay pure, you know, yeah. I, to keep it pure. There's there's a lot of shortcuts that you could take in that. And mm -hmm. um, like, for instance, with the platinum, um, which is is going to be out, I'm hoping, by the next event um, that I see you at, even. So mm -hmm. it should be the first platinum showing. Wow. Um, and it's a, it's about a 60-inch piece. And Whoa. by 48, probably a 60 wow. by 48. Four and by five feet. That's a big. It's a big, big piece. Big piece. Yeah. Now that's got for plat for pure platinum. That has to yeah. be so intimidating. It's frightening. You, you make that panel of <laughs> yeah. all platinum. That's got to cost just a fortune to just make the panel, right? Well, it took platinum. research to find it. Oh my god! Uh, I I talked to my supplier and they said um, I can or they can get the platinum, but it would be gold coated in platinum. Oh, okay. You're like, no. And I said, I don't want gold. Yeah, that, I, want that. Real platinum. I, I want yeah. 100% <laughs> dripping metal platinum that, in a shape of a square, right? And yeah, he's leaf, a super thin yeah, leaf, yeah. And he said, let me, let me find out uh, some things. He called me back uh, uh, probably it was about two weeks later. And he said, I found a place that'll make it. No one has it just on a shelf. Like, you don't go into a store and buy that. You know, it doesn't exist. And so he found a place that would make it. Now, is this like a, a leaf-making place? Or is like a yeah. jeweler? Or what? Yeah, okay. it's a, um, it was a place in Austria that it was the main, one of their main suppliers for a lot of their silver leaf comes out of okay. like the, uh -huh. you know, that region yeah. up there. Right. And so he found this, this place that would make it. Uh, they said they would only make it if I pay for it first. In full, yeah. Obviously. Right. Uh -huh. yeah. So, um. It, it costs $5,000 for enough to make two two paintings. Wow. So that's one big one and one small one. Wow. So from <laughs> now on, you're going to go back to canvas. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm going to do watercolors now. You, you know, what, what, what's really, what was really weird yeah. is, is the fact that... Um, when you do precious metal application, you have to use a transfer vehicle. Like you can't. What, what you, does that mean? Well, you. Oh, when, when, like so say you get a book. Paper or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh -huh. So say you get a book and you have to use some sort of static. They they make um, they make long haired combs that are probably four, five, six inches long, and you you actually use static cling, and you can rub them in your hair <laughs> or you rub them on your clothes to uh -huh. create the static, and then you lay them on the book. And then you transfer the leaf wow. onto the board. Wow. It is a frightening method. Wow. Uh, it, it works if you're doing a, like a cathedral ceiling where mm -hmm. you're just doing you know hundreds of leaves over yeah. and over for right. a month. But in my application, it, it it it's just it just didn't work. So platinum leaf, as I found out, is weighs probably about ten times more a sheet than regular gold leaf. Mm. I mean, literally. Mm. So. I'm, I, I brought my transfer vehicle on it, mm -hmm. uh, a paper I use, and I went to I, I put it down and brought some static onto it. I went to bring it over, and the platinum a sheet of it fell off, mm -hmm. and 
that was it. I lost that sheet because mm. <laughs> you can't pay. As soon as you touch oh, it, it disintegrates. Yeah, it disintegrates. Yeah. So thin, yeah. Uh-huh. So then I, so I was like, right oh, my the, God. The sizing right on the board. That's a go right on. Yeah. And so then I had to, yeah. you know, now yeah. you skill. have to overcome. <laughs> now how am I going to do this? You know, there's, there, and so I found a way to actually get it to quickly get underneath it and quickly get it back upside down. And so leafing that one board that I was telling you about, it, it was 60. a it was a twelve hour process, yeah. and I, I was literally like shaking because you get so far down on, on it, applying the leaf. So say you start at this end and you're coming down towards the then closest to you of, of the length, and it's just open and exposed. And anything that happens in the room or if if you you know if if the edge of your hand or if if your coat or your shirt or if anything rubs against it in that raw sense, it's mm-hmm. done. It's it, mm-hmm. you might as well then, you know, give the board a little appendectomy right there, and you start with a new size because you're not going to recover that. So when you lay all these this leaf down, you put it on a uh, a surface. Yeah. And the surface is something that's prepared specially for you as well, which is yeah. an aircraft aluminum with like a PVC corrugated center. Yeah. Two sheets of aluminum with the center in between it, right? Yeah. Uh, fortunately. You know, sign painting comes through once again, and the the shop that I worked for it was a major manufacturing company in Southern California, and um, I told them what I wanted to do, and basically they put this substrate together for me for the use of what I'm doing. So I wanted to, you know, when you're making painting, in, individual paintings, you want to make it as as time sensitive and archival as humanly possible when you're talking about that uh, type of type of metal application and uh, I wanted I wanted to overcome the whole expanding and contracting issue and so I I had a substrate put together that has a a uh, center a core center in it that acts like a radiator for hot and cold temperature so um, specifically made for my needs uh, that ended up being something that really, uh, I believe, will hold up through time and uh, bring the most protection to the piece. And I've had people that have bought them and put them outside. I had one client in Palm Springs that bought a piece and, and hung it in an outdoor pool cabana. And uh, if anyone knows Palm Springs, uh, that uh, gets pretty hot out there. So it was... Uh, it's been tried and true to this point, and uh, a decade later, have uh, had no issues with it. So, it's been a uh, you know a constant testing out of products. Uh, it took about a year to to put the whole substrate and process together uh, from the beginning, and now we kind of feel that we have a a, a good process and method, and. Uh, Sticking with it. Your daughter Piper helps you sometimes. My she daughter helps Piper you. helps me. Yeah. Yes, yeah. she's um, she started leafing. I started showing her about doing it when she was six, and uh, she just kind of started nailing it. And you know, you know, kids are just so so. Uh, I remember when she started, you know, using crayons and and markers, and she just had this completely raw beautiful colored just you know she just had the neatest childhood scribbles ever and I would bring them to work and just try to 
tap back into that yeah. like child mindset where you're just laying down you know the raw color and balance and all that so uh yeah she's uh she's quite the little leafer so there's times when i'll have my dad come out uh he'll help me leaf when i get overrun with with work and uh so uh oddly enough there's quite a few pieces out there that have three generations of my family's work on the on the board uh but usually i have a little room at my studio that has a window that you can see into the particular room and the room is made for leafing it's sealed off from air and uh you know i mean you know blowing air from the air air conditioner and all that and uh there's many times when the two of my dad and my daughter are up there leafing and i'll be walking past the window and they're you know putting leaf on together and it's kind of a cool you know little you know grandfather granddaughter moment but then i'll walk past again and she's gold leafing his head or you know (laughs) so she keeps it she keeps it real yeah there's a film uh video that park west produced recently and Mm -hmm. uh it has a time lapse of you and piper yeah a a a, a big a big uh surface is really cool so yes yes if our listeners want to check that out they can, yeah they can go on youtube and check it out it's a really cool video she's she's quite good at it so um if we go back to to uh uh pennsylvania yes and you leave there and you go to art school first there and yeah. then you go to california i finally got you to california well now, right? i left art school yeah. and uh um i uh i ended up uh wondering at that point what to do i didn't get hired right out of the gate at the portfolio review uh after school so um you know i really didn't know what what i was going to do so i i was still i my job as a teenager i played in bands and like quite literally that was my my income uh was performing musically uh so um i ended up you know the band I played in in Pennsylvania. We always dreamed about you know like so many people, heading out west, going to the California scene that right. was going on musically, and uh, we set dates as to when we wanted to do that. And everybody was gung ho, and the date came, and the only person that ended up driving California was me. <laughs> By yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I flew there first. I I I uh, went to check it out. I ended up picking up some uh, musician wanted ads. Uh, I made some By calls. By the way, Patrick is yeah. a bass player. In case yes. you're wondering, yeah. and if you're not a musician, you wouldn't know that bass players get work really easily. <laughs> if you're a bass player, you work all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, unlike drummers and guitar players. Yeah. Again, thanks to my dad uh, for I think for playing bass because he bought a guitar when I was very young, and uh, he was going to play. Beatles songs with it I remember and he kind of gorilla the, the the strings a little bit too hard with the pick and he broke the E and the B string off the oh, high yeah. the, the, the high E and the B so he he chucks the guitar in the closet and it's like four strings it's like he's not the, he's not the change the strings guy he's like it's broke <laughs> there in the closet <laughs> so uh, I used to mess around with that as a kid this acoustic guitar that had four strings on uh-huh. it so you know I, I, for some reason it just stuck so <laughs> Uh, I answered some ads. I got some calls, and um, I had some auditions lined up. So I ended up. I was back in Pennsylvania. I got a phone call, and um, 
oddly enough, I was I was in my room. I had a stack of flyers that I'd picked up. I went all through Southern California while I was there to all the different you know venues and all that kind of stuff. Picked up all these flyers. Literally had like a stack about an inch thick of flyers and bands and all that stuff was going on. The scene was in full rage at that what, what time. Year, what year is this? This is nineteen eighty seven. Okay. Yeah. Full rage of Hollywood and you know Orange County. So Southern California was on fire musically, and. Uh, I uh, got a phone call from one of the bands, and um, uh, I remember after talking to them, remembering the names, and uh, of the one in particular. And I, 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 after I had the phone call conversation, I went up to my room, and I had the stack of flyers uh, on a nightstand. And when I went up to the room, there were two flyers that fell off and that were laying on the floor one of them was the band that I got in when I that that were that I just talked to on the phone the other oddly enough was the band that I'm still playing in now 32 years later <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how that you know obviously but uh uh, is that like the uh, the Snapple story? It's, it's yeah, yeah, see, it's a lifetime of Snapple lids pretty much <laughs> is what's going on but uh, I ended up going there getting that getting that position and uh then i played all through the through the you know the area handfuls of different bands here and there and uh uh then i landed in the one that i still play with today um leather wolf your band's called leather wolf leather wolf one word you guys are huge in germany i know you you do concerts all around actually well you know that's the funny thing you know David Hasselhoff is also huge in Germany, <laughs> so it doesn't seem. I don't know. I don't see the relationship. Well, anymore. yeah, but the the uh, what's funny is is in today, we meet so many people when we travel and play that play outside of the U.S. because that's the market anymore, yeah. and it's not so much in one region. It's any any country pretty much except America. Right. People come back to America like um, we saw. Uh, there was not too long ago uh, the band Iron Maiden played down in Brazil uh-huh. and they're just a you know an 80s 80s yeah. metal band That's huge metal band, metal band. Yeah. but yeah. but they they had an audience there of 2.4 million people i mean it was one of the largest amassings wow. of people on the planet yeah. to see yeah. uh-huh. a, a band yeah. let alone a metal band yeah right and then they came and then they played a house of blues in New York. I mean, how do you make that? I mean, how is that even feasible? Uh, but but we see a lot of the guys from back in the day, especially back in the scene. We see them out traveling, and they say that they make more money and and they have more opportunity and more output situations now. Anywhere except America. Everywhere in the world except Isn't America. It, that's crazy. And yeah. so you know, it, it's it's yeah. just uh, interesting. I, I can't make heads or tails of it, but that's kind of that's, that's how it has right. gone. Wow, wow. So yeah, played in the bands, and I subsi- I subsidize subsidize. Yeah, subsidize. That's your, a big word for me. Subsidize your income. <laughs> My income. Doing uh, uh, painting. Games, doing right? paintings yeah. and doing yeah. uh, sign, sign work. Yeah. The work. the whole for sale thing mm-hmm. started to come into play uh-huh. as far as like you know if you Extra need to money. earn a dollar. Yeah. So I started painting banners for bands and drum heads and. Uh, I started painting uh, guitars. Uh, I used to do guitars uh, for Fender Custom Shop, and mm-hmm. you know I've done 
every instrument that can be painted for yeah. this, that, and everybody yeah. else. Well, you, and, also, you also can yeah. paint anything, you know. Well, that's the thing. You, you, can, you just start learning all the different ap applications and all the different techniques and styling that you need to have in every all these situations, which I don't think I would have had unless it, it, it came to needing to, you know, just take on whatever work was coming at me. Yeah. Uh, and that's where a lot of that was learned. I, I got under some people initially in California. Some of my first people I worked under were people who did um, uh, mural work and ceiling work and, you know, that type of thing. And I got a job with one muralist. I was the cloud guy. So whenever we were doing clouds, like, you know, the, mm -hmm. out in Vegas, like the ceilings and all that kind of, I came, I'd be the guy to come in and paint, paint all the, the clouds. clouds. And, and so uh, he taught me a great deal about mural work and and that type of thing and uh it that's the type of situation that just kept kind of rolling over on top of itself more and more and more fascinating so yeah. fascinating thank you all, all these things yeah. coming together to form who you are today yeah so then you get the call to go work for chuck jones yeah yeah, it kind of yeah. comes out of the blue, right? It, it, like everything else, yeah. yeah, comes out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, the random phone call. Right. Um, well, let's stop and talk yeah. about Chuck Jones for some yes. years to, to give people a perspective if yes. they don't know. Yeah. Um, animation art is one of the greatest American art forms, one of the, the original American art forms that still is considered extraordinary in our country, yeah. originated in America. Chuck Jones was an icon. He was a giant true. of animation art, a, re, a true master of animation art, yeah. right? And he was responsible for creating characters like uh, the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote, uh, Michigan J. Frog, Bugs, he Bunny. Did Bugs Bunny stuff all the time, mm -hmm. all the, lots of the Warner Brothers yeah. characters. Yeah, Yosemite Sam. Yeah, and all yeah. Those I, mean, the, the, I mean, the really good stuff, right? Yeah. So how old was he when you went to work for him? Do you remember? Uh, he was probably in his 80s, early 80s. 80s. Okay. Late 70s? I only met him 80s. once. Yeah. I met him when he came to Park West for a show that we did with him. And he was a gentleman, just yeah. a class act, oh, just a super class act. And he was so nice and so uh, professional about everything he did. He loved meeting the people, so gracious to everybody. Yeah. And then the next uh, year, I watched him receive his Lifetime Achievement Award on the Academy Award show. Yeah. They gave him a special achievement award. He came yeah. out with his cane, you know. Yeah. He was 90 years old at yeah. the time and received that. It was so cool. Yeah. So I'm so delighted I got to meet him. But yeah. you, dude, you were like, you work with him you, yeah. every day, you know, in the studio. Like, he's looking over your shoulder, you know. It, it was that a, had to be, like, just as, astonishing. It was a weird time. I, I uh, it, you know, type things like that are just surreal. Like, I, it would be... You know, like 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 you were saying, man. You know, sitting doing a podcast with Durr. You know, like you know, just like how weird would that be? Yeah. But you know, to have a phone call with somebody say, "Hey, a friend of mine, Martin, uh, he calls me and he, he said, hey, uh, they need a background artist. You need to kind of get down here right now, <laughs> like right, right like, now, right freaking now. <laughs> get in your car and drive." <laughs> yeah, so. Um, I went down there and uh, I painted a sample piece. Uh, first piece uh, that I did, they accepted the the, the, the skill level um, mm -hmm. at the time, and um, you know I was going from commercial art forms, and that was the f that was just like stepping now into a landscape. Mm -hmm. That was in for me it was not easy, and thank God it wasn't a big like serious landscape. I, actually, it was an interior. Uh, piece, but I mean, most of the subsequent ones were landscape, uh, but the initial one was um, 
uh, where they had all the dogs, the, the Looney Tunes dogs, playing poker together. Mm-hmm. Um, I what believe was, was it, it's it? known. It's gone under two different names. One was um, uh, called a friend in need, because two of the dogs where one of them was passing a card under the table to the other <laughs> and so uh, that's in the forefront and it, and, it, and, um, and the other one it's known as full doghouse full doghouse full doghouse dog and so it's gone under both probably um, two different pressings of the same piece but that is the first piece I, I, I got to be honored with doing the a background with and uh, you know to 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 Chuck's genius uh he would literally I, I just don't know how he did it he 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 saw he saw the finished piece so thoroughly that it's all I, I could barely understand how he was pulling this off because in, in his mind, you mean. he would put the characters together only uh-huh. in black line right and then I would get the black line uh-huh. and then have to make the background around what uh-huh. he did right. so like with the dogs the poker dog the, the dogs playing poker he had them all sitting around a table there was no table, no table. you had to make the table they were right. sitting the on chairs. chairs there were no chairs right. <laughs> he had them you know drinking this and there was nothing it was just they were there in the in the pose as uh-huh. if they would be doing that right. and there was nothing but he could see it all in his mind yeah and we we went on uh, one of the ones that really blew me away more than any other is we did a commemorative Easy Rider piece. Uh-huh. And it was during, I think it was the 30 or 40th anniversary of the Easy Rider movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bugs Bunny was Peter Fonda in the Captain America role, right? <laughs> uh, Daffy was Billy. Mm-hmm. And Elmer Fudd was Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and so... <laughs> There was no background. There was no motorcycles. But, but Chuck drew bugs in chopper, like in, sitting sitting on a chopper, right? So he had the the exact everything down. Next to him, he had Daffy on another mo- seated as if he was on another bike. And then Elmer was sitting behind Daffy, holding on to Daffy. And it was the hard. And it was in like a three quarter view. Right. And it was the hardest. And you had to do the bikes. I had to put the bikes yeah, uh-huh. in three quarter view underneath the characters that were already there. I was like, "Oh my god, this is insane!" And and I I as soon as I saw it, I I thought, "Oh my god, this guy is just is beyond genius. How he's going to see that, and how yeah. he knows the yeah. positioning, and and yeah. and how it all is supposed to look." blew my mind. And I don't think I ever did anything where I got something from him that wasn't. It's just, oh my yeah, God, yeah, you know. Yeah. And what one of the cells you worked on uh, became very important historically. Yes, yeah. The um, when they started, uh, I forget what year it was, but when they started to put the classical music to the Looney Tunes, I mean that was like groundbreaking. You know, uh, that that was an extra level, a special in animation. Uh, uh, still to this day, uh, out at um, at the Hollywood Bowl. Bowl, they will um, play Looney Tunes cartoons, mm-hmm. and they'll have a full-blown orchestra in the pit really? playing the music that is in the cartoon, but, Along, doing, it but doing it live. Wow, that's, that's how crazy. much of an impact yeah. that uh-huh. still has, even wow. today. 
Wow. So um, one of those one of those cartoons was the What's Opera Doc, uh, the Kill the Wabbit one. Kill the Wabbit. Kill the Wabbit. Kill the Wabbit. Yeah, that. It's Wagner. And it was funny as everybody knows. If you don't know that, you must have just landed on the planet not too long ago. But, but it's become so amazingly, you know, it's like right. you said. I mean, it's it's dug into the roots of Americana, you know, animation. Um, it, it has its place forever there. And uh, the, uh, the, the, cartoon was inducted into the National Film Registry and they wanted the a reproduction piece made to be featured you know with the induction and um, uh, the background itself was originally made by Maurice Noble who Maurice uh, somebody that um uh, again i think so many people have seen his work and it's that it just blows my mind like guys like mm-hmm. that how many people have know the man's work but right. just will never know who, know who it was yeah. or uh-huh. anything about it yeah. uh maurice was uh he did the backgrounds on the original snow white movie for disney uh he did the grinch that stole christmas the, the animated original from with chuck and ricky ticky tavi and about a million other Looney Tunes cartoons, mm-hmm. but also he did the background for what's up. Op- I mean, yeah, what's up, Doc. Doc. Yeah. And so Maurice at the time uh, had some hand problems, arthritis or whatever, and and so Chuck Studio sent me up to Maurice's home to sit and kind of let him. He was kind of the or- the conductor as I played the orchestra, so I got to kind of be the hands for him to mm-hmm. to translate the background. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just amazing. Again, yeah, like just incredible. Hard to really compute yeah. in your mind know, what is going yeah, on yeah. here. While like it's happening, you're kind of just you're in the moment, and then you reflect yes. back on it and go, "Holy cow, this is like, yeah." I, I honestly, to this day, it. it like I, I don't really think I have a more surreal moment um, than that time in life, mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. like doing art or being able to mm-hmm. to understudy or you know mm-hmm. learn from yeah. people like that. Right. That's that was yeah. that was um, that was pretty pretty just so unexpected. It's hard to to kind of compute, but uh, he he kind of steered me down the, the roads of uh, background designs and you know his theories and his reasoning behind this and using that and mm-hmm. I was so blown away at his use of colored pencil in so much of the backgrounds that he had done I mean he was he was a colored pencil guru mm-hmm. so he you know this has to be done like that and that has to be done here so he he was so animated himself and such a uh, just a fun individual uh, it was during a time also when he was uh, he was at Disney and they were doing the digital remasters of Snow White and uh, they were asking him for color analysis and, and, and just kind of some guidelines through for color and, and the people that were working on it at that time and I don't don't know whether it was new or that's just what it seemed like what was going on but you know they all the digital guys you know so going away from analog there and just ramping 
saturations mm -hmm. to the hilt and mm -hmm. thinking that that now is all of a sudden better. Now mm -hmm. it's cleaner and this and that and better and wonderful and brighter. And, and I remember him just talking about how that was um, just an insult, such an insult to him that he didn't ever want to return mm -hmm. to have anything like that, yeah. be involved in anything like that anymore. And he thought, you know, when, when, and when you look at some of those backgrounds, they're dark, they're mm -hmm. gray, they're mm -hmm. dark, they're muddy, they're mm -hmm. dirty, but that's a, there's, there's portions of that cartoon or an, I mean, movie, an animated movie where, where you, there's some heavy stuff going on. You it's know, there's a, there's a, a, a girl running from a guy yeah. who's trying to kill her, you know, mm -hmm. and pulls out a yeah. knife. And I mean, uh, that's some yeah. harsh stuff running through all the thickets. I mean, mm -hmm. Like, I remember my daughter watching it for the first time. She was petrified. You know, we had to kind of speed through that little area. And, but what what makes it so intense is the color that he used and the palette that he had going on. He wanted was it to be that way. Yeah. Magnificent yeah. palette. So, uh, he, uh, that was a time when he kind of, uh, you saw the lines being drawn mm -hmm. between that, era that generation yeah. and the new right. at that right. time and he walked away he walked away and he, he was just so annoyed and he was very verbal about yeah. it <laughs> but uh he uh he died shortly thereafter you work with him right yeah longer, yeah yeah he uh i i remembered listening to so much of the other stuff he's talking about especially with people and his work and and i had a lot of what was the original you know renderings and drawings from him and this and that and when we were done i i was just gonna hold on to it you know i just had it at home rolled up in tubes because we did exchanges back and forth of you know changes and mm -hmm. you know uh, he would he'd mark up certain things that i'd do that you know and change this move that do the blah 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 and i have the original all the stuff and i thought wow that, that that's probably gonna be worth something and, and then the more i got to know him and mm -hmm. be around him and understand him the more I felt just so wrong about keeping that. Yeah. So I Xeroxed it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I wanted something, because, you know, it was, it was a time for me. Uh -huh. I wanted to have the memory of that. Yeah. But I, I thought it was important to bring him mm -hmm. literally and hand it to him back, the original work. So you gave it all work. back to him? Yeah. So I, uh -huh. But I didn't mail it to him. I brought it up to uh -huh. him, uh -huh. and I wanted to, like, just literally hand it to him, you know, mm -hmm. and, and tell him, you know, this... This is part of you, and and uh, I don't want to encroach on that. But but I said I, I xeroxed it, so I want you to know because I want to. <laughs> I said I always want to remember this time. <laughs> but I said this is all the original stuff, mm -hmm. and there was a, a part of me that thought he was going to go. Oh no, you keep it, you know, <laughs> and and he didn't. <laughs> so then I was really glad I xeroxed yeah, yeah. it. You went, thanks, kid. <laughs> yeah, thanks, kid. Good job. Uh, but yeah, it was sad. Uh, you know, hearing the news that he passed, and and yeah. uh, but I was very, very grateful for the time to sit under such a man. What aspects of animation art do you feel are applicable to your painting? Um, I think uh, I discover more and more of it all the time. Every time I make something, I start realizing, wow, that's very much from animation. Every time I make something now, I think, wow, there's huge portions of sign painting in there. Wow, there's huge portions of animation in there. Wow, there's huge portions of, of you know, this kind of design or that kind of design. And I start seeing it now after the piece is made, not so much going into it. Uh, it has had uh, a very important, I, I think, 
place as far as the idea of what I'm doing uh, because to take the background with leafing to create a imagery or, or some sort of motion with color or, or landscape or whatever it's going to be on the background and then to put an image that's opaque on top of it mm -hmm. you know on top of a, a, a background that's been done with transparencies and then put an opaque image on top of that it gives it that appearance that some that particular image the foreground image seems to have an appearance that it's floating, floating up on off. top yeah. and, and it's like not a, but it has right. it's very much that look to like it a, like a setup they call it yeah like a multi-cell setup exactly yeah exactly layer, layer one cell over the other one and i think that's a big a big aspect of what i'm doing and i like I said, it wasn't planned that way, but when you start seeing it, you start seeing how um, it it came across as that look, and, and, it, and it further plays out. Um, and I'm glad. It, I'm glad it looks that way yeah. for that reason. I know that you still use some of the same brushes that you use in All sign of them. painting. All your, of your, them. Your father's kit, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, some yeah. of them out of his. Yeah, yeah. his kit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, that's wild. I mean, yeah. who even has those 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 brushes, things like that anymore? He is right? a very yeah. adamant, and I'm sure if he's listening to this, will laugh. <laughs> a very adamant brush washer. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, he is of the school where after you would wash the brush, you would run it through transmission fluid or motor oil or, you know, whatever you have, you know, in order to groom the brush, to really? bring it to back to a chisel or whatever the brush would be, uh, and then set it in an oil bath, you know. Really? So quite literally, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he has almost all of the brushes he ever had wow. today. And that's amazing. So I used to do the same thing. Uh -huh. So my brushes would go through the same, you know, motor oil transmission <laughs> fluid treatment. And there's a lot of people who say, don't put transmission. You know, the, the petroleum will do this and that. And was, well, you know, it. what are you going to do? You just, you, you just, you know, there's not a lot of options sometimes. I just need some oil. I don't care what kind. Just give me some oil to groom this brush mm -hmm. and set it in there till tomorrow. Right. And then I'll wash right. it out and right. use it all over again. Right. But, um, I've gotten so accustomed to those brushes that um, it, it's just, it feels natural to use those brushes. Plus, they're soft and long-haired, uh -huh. and on leafing, you can you can scratch the leafing so easy, painting up on it with the, with the wrong brushes. Right, right. So that's where that's really came in mm -hmm. completely handy, is mm -hmm. being able to work on top of, yeah. in some cases, bare, pure metal. Yeah. And not scratch it or destroy it based on what kind of brush you use. Right. Right. And then in other other re, other situations where you're purposely looking to burnish it by using bristle brushes mm -hmm. or you know normal traditional yeah. brushes, which yeah. will do that. Yeah. Yeah. I still have uh, I still have a few of the first brushes um, that that my dad gave me when I went to art school, yeah. and they're actually still in play. So yeah. <laughs> still using them. That's Those crazy. Good old brushes. So. Can you talk a little bit about um, the transition now from being, um, you know, a musician, going to art school, working in animation, and what happened that propelled you into the fine art world? How did that take place? Um, it, it, again, I think it came out of necessity, um, but again, unexpected necessity. Uh, it was uh, probably around 2008 when the economy tanked over, and... Uh, the uh, customers that I had uh, commission wise which 
Um, I was holding down a couple dozen steady commissioned uh, places and people where I would just do one after another after another. I mean, seemingly without end. And um, I started doing a lot of uh, custom car work and I did a lot of uh, SEMA work for the show out in Vegas and, you know, for, you know, Ford and Chevy and all the major manufacturers prepping their, you know, their real high-end stuff. Um, I had a, a shop just strictly doing that and um, I, you know, during a time when, when, when the economy goes so bad, like your accounts just go away overnight and so my wife and I had uh, our daughter was uh, three at the time and my wife uh, uh, when she was my when my daughter was born my wife became a stay-at-home mom and uh, so my income was it and then when the economy went bad all work pretty much literally shut off because uh, you know the, you know joke being who needs an artist in 2008 <laughs> beside nobody and uh, we started racking up our bills and racking up our credit cards living off plastic and and uh, got out of control we we ended up getting deep into a position of possible foreclosure mm. and my wife came up to me at that point and finally said hey uh, you need to think about like a real job mm-hmm. and uh, I I told her, let me look quickly on Craigslist and see if I can find anything just to tide us over while I'm looking for said, quote-unquote, good job. And uh, I found a ad literally that day for an artist assistant, which happened to be, there was a window of time the, the, the following day, um, and it was an exit from my house. <laughs> I told her literally, I'll, I'm going to go to this, and literally right next to where the appointment was was the Home Depot, and I told her that if I don't get this gig, I'm going to literally, I promise you, I swear to you, go to the Home Depot and I'll, I'll fill out an application. And put on the orange apron. And put on the orange apron. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I. Uh, so I, I literally tried to make my best showing so I, I got together my resume and I felt pretty proud of my resume at that moment yeah, in time I, really, I really yeah. did like yeah, I, I thought yeah. this is good yeah, looking how, how you many know? people are going to walk in with this, uh, this background yeah, right? but yeah. I almost thought it might be too good looking <laughs> I felt I should roll a little bit little bit of it back maybe it's it's too too good but um, sorry you're overqualified yeah and, and, and because that's the great possibility right. and I just needed a job I didn't want to yeah. go in there and try to you know take over get the corner office or anything yeah. but uh, uh, so um, I brought a spec sheet. I had photo sheet of different things. I, the resume. Um, I literally packed the best looking travel box of supplies I could, and I brought literally my white apron, my paint apron that I've never used. I had it rolled up in a in a drawer in my toolbox, and I, I put it on like two times, holding a you know exacto knife or something. So I thought I'm really gonna look professional with the apron and the toolbox, the rolling toolbox. So. I go in and and uh, I started to do a demonstration panel um, with about 10, 12 people and every few minutes a guy would come in, tap a guy on the shoulder and, and he would tell him thank you and they would pack up and leave the room. Then it kept happening, kept happening, kept happening and 
uh, I found myself left in the room alone, still painting, and the guy didn't come back for a while. And I thought <laughs> they probably hired everybody and just forgot me, forgot to tell me to go home. You know, you have any visions of the <laughs> having of the visions of the apron orange apron? I'm gonna, you know, I and really, truly, that was that, that. My mind was then trying to figure out the shifting ratios of a forklift, and and uh, I. Uh, I uh, had the guy actually he came back in and he said he wanted to hire me so I was then very elated and uh, we went in uh, he showed me some stuff he wanted me to do and I started doing I, I worked there for about a week um, and this gentleman came to town who was the publisher of the artist uh, I didn't meet him right away but the, the, the shop manager gave him my resume and my photo sheet and all that stuff and told him hey we hired this guy and here's his info and stuff and so uh, the fellow walked in to where I was working and he said hey come back here we sat in a room together and he said hey I'm real sorry I gotta let you go oh, and I, I was just seriously like deflated like like and and you know like you said the orange visions of orange apron filled my head you know and uh but he then, in his jokingly manner, uh, pulled out a uh, contract for me personally. He said, you, he, goes, he goes, you're not an assistant. He goes, you need to, to you're your own guy. He goes, you, <laughs> he goes, I want to sign you to your own deal. Uh -huh. And I, I really, I, I really didn't, it was such a weird time, you know, yeah. when people are offering you yeah. stuff. And you know, as a musician, right. you have people offering you things all the time. And usually things that are too good to be true usually are. And all that kind of stuff. So uh, People blowing smoke. People blowing time. smoke. Yeah. And, and I really thought uh -huh. no different. And I thought, here's another guy who's going to try to take advantage of me or uh -huh. try to use something that I got that he saw on a spec sheet in order to yeah. do blah, 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 blah. I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. Especially when um, um, him and his partner at the time... Uh, had the wonderful names David Smith and John Doe <laughs> so uh, uh, I ended up meeting David Smith who uh, uh, I didn't know him at the time I didn't know the, the background that he had and, and the people that uh, he's worked with and, and brought up some in some cases from you know some people out of the trunk of their car you know from to the places that they're at currently yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you know he he was a very interesting guy, and he wanted to have a, a. He said to me, "He goes, let's have an art show." And he said, uh, "How many how many works do you have right now, in this particular style?" And I said, "I got, I got, I, I just sold my freaking '55 Chevy to, to buy bread. You think I have art laying around the house, you know?" And uh, he he wanted to put an art show on uh, at a gallery in Irvine, California, and. Um, I had never at that point had an art show in my entire life anywhere in the world ever. And uh, so I was, uh, I just didn't, too many, like so many things going, I, I really didn't know how to, and there was no time to process it. I was just trying to go with what was in front of me yeah. in order to help provide for how the family. How can I get some, you know, liberation out of this and without solve a this doubt. problem? Yeah. Without a doubt. So he says, okay, I'm going to do a show. Like, when does he want to do it? How much time is it? It was going? literally, uh, th that was a Monday when he came in, uh, beginning of the week, and he wanted to do a show Saturday night. <laughs> that Saturday <laughs> that night. Saturday night, the same no, week. No fooling. And right. I, I thought he would be, I thought literally he was talking about a couple months from now, and he was like, no, this coming Saturday. And 
so just it just kept compounding this, oh, this crazy. Uh, there was no moment. time to yeah. compute uh-huh. what was going right. on, think about what was going on, try to strategize. What should I paint? I mean, just it was literally raw, unadulterated, just art, just stuff <laughs> on the on the boards. Simple, you know. Right. I had to make I had to make ten, twelve, no, twelve pieces, mm-hmm. and. And so you know, it was it was minimalistic stuff, but I you right. know made the pieces. We did the show, sold all but a few pieces, literally. And he thought that's pretty cool. Let's see if that's make sure it's not a fluke. Let's do it again next weekend. Mm-hmm. And again, this was then that was on a Sunday, the following Sunday mm-hmm. after the show. Mm-hmm. So I had another week to then make sixteen pieces as he keeps his numbers first going up. Was what, Eleven or twelve? Or first something? one was first 12, twelve. Now the second was sixteen. Uh-huh. Yeah, so every week. Yeah. He, yeah. So he, I did the pieces. We did the show that time in Las Vegas, at uh, uh, Wyland Gallery in Planet Hollywood. And this was so blowing my like. Sure. I, 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 yeah. It was. It was. I was just observing what was happening, and my mm-hmm. body was a part of it, kind right, of a thing. It right. was just uh-huh. kind of weird. Yeah. But uh, we did the show to have the same thing happen. Sold all but a few pieces, and again, that was in two thousand eight. So, no one was buying art, you know. But the good thing was, prints were prints were gone at that time, as you know. Prints. Yeah. It was so hard to sell a print right. in two thousand eight because, yeah. you know. I think that's where the fact that we came across with with all original work, mm-hmm. all paintings, right. and you're buying a painting. Yeah. You know, in some cases for the same price, it was able to people buying a print. Yeah. So, um, I think that w- greatly helped the the, sure. the need. Uh-huh. And um, so then that's kind of where uh, David went with uh, the program. Right after that, he went to uh, to the uh, to Princess Fine Art program. Uh, we ended up. Uh, he got on, got us on to Princess Fine Arts, mm-hmm. uh, which then, as mm-hmm. you greatly know, uh, uh, was acquired by Park West. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, after Park West got in and settled the settled the the scales of what you had and had, or you mm-hmm. know what you had going on there, uh, yeah. brought us over, transitioned us, and well, here were, we are. You were, you know, in the top probably five artists at Princess, and you're certainly you know in the same stratosphere at Park West it's, right now. Uh, very exciting. But yeah. one of the things of people may not know is that you can't make prints you yeah. know the nature of your art is such that it doesn't apply itself to any kind of print matrix so you have to make everything by hand you yeah. you you make every work of art that you sell with yeah. your own hand which is pretty cool yeah and pretty amazing yeah and at the same time you'll do you'll do certain images that can be i guess the best word is replicated yeah you can make similar yeah. images and you, you choose some subjects you can do that with so yeah. you can price things that are competitive with prints yes and sell things that you know in multiples which yeah. people love they have a chance to do that and not have to bid against each other right, in order right to do that. right but every work is by hand yeah. it's all done by you by hand which is truly amazing from zero and to finish yeah. like i said in the beginning uh you know you have a really high bar you set the bar really high well you know when, when you start with the one one or two gallery shows you know <laughs> and then it's weird how it kept, when it kept uh, rolling yeah you really couldn't change, and we were trying to change the formula. We tried right. to find print work know, off a place in it, and couldn't do it. Yeah, I know that. And it right. was just it, wasn't, it, wasn't gonna it, work. it yeah. just couldn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, before we close, sure. let's just talk a little bit about you know the, your work and the nature of your work. Yeah. Because you're combining so many techniques now. You know, you got the substrate, which are the various precious metals, and then you put in many cases these beautiful translucent, sort of luminous colors on them. Yeah. Jewel-like colors are beautiful. Yeah and subtle some are darker some are lighter and you create these wonderful atmospheres and then you go in and paint with the opaque 
uh, pigment, and mm-hmm. you'll do uh, you know some of the foliage and the flowers and the birds and the beautiful subjects that you yes. do, and then you'll um, sometimes go in and remove the paint yeah. as well with an emulsion, right? Yeah. That lets the metal come back through and like pulling out the negative space, yes. which is really amazing. Yes, and then you'll paint like pure opaque things, like in the figurative works. Yeah. So is this something that just sort of evolved, or was it based on the subject? Is it something that you learned as you went along? Did you did you have this concept, in, you know, initially? Because you're combining all these techniques that are so extraordinary. I, I honestly, to, to go back to what we were just talking about, when when there was no time to think about what to make, mm-hmm. I just made what came natural, uh-huh. and I think a lot of that came like we were just talking about from the animation applications. Because right. I I did the backgrounds in animation, but then after doing backgrounds, I went and then did actual cell painting, uh-huh. where then I was so then I was doing both aspects, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think when I was you know starting all this, I just quite literally there was no time to. Th- to, to plan anything it was just start making something and then make something out of that and then keep it going don't stop don't, don't think stop. just just, just do stuff with your hands have another cup of coffee yeah and, and literally he dave actually bought me an espresso machine when we started first thing he got me he brings in this thing clunk puts it on the table he goes don't ever leave yeah so 16 pieces yeah and, more coffee and and quite literally i honestly think it was just it was just starting to do what came literally natural uh-huh. And, um, you know, like, like, like that, I think the animation thing came so natural at that time because it was recently, it was still just recently going on because after Chuck's, real quickly, just to add to it, I went from Chuck's studio, um, started working with Robert McKimson uh, and doing the McKimson pieces, all the sports edition stuff. Mm-hmm. The, then went and I, d- I did uh, work for Hanna-Barbera, Popeye Bullwinkle, Betty Boop, mm-hmm. you know, all those different things. And I was doing a lot of uh, cell painting for that type of stuff. So it was all still very fresh. And so I kept that approach going. Uh, but I also, you know, I love and st- I, I'm, I was trained with traditional methods. So commercial type application is one thing, but I, you know, I still have the desire to have a lot more of a tra- traditional hand on things as well. So I started pulling in the Flemish feel and the glazing and that type of thing. And I thought, well, how can I mix the the the, the methodology of what I'm doing now with it? Kind of pulls from tra- um, tra- traditional animation and or science, you know, the 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 nature of sign painting and the brushwork and mix that in with the the Flemish aspect and the glazing and then use the dynasty period right. you know substrates and make all right. that come together, come together and make yeah. this happy uh-huh. just uh-huh. soup of wonderful yeah. right. stuff and and, and, <laughs> and you did it man. Well, and it's like there's nobody yeah. in the world who makes art like you it's uh-huh. completely unique and original and people, as I said before, people adore your work. Thank they absolutely you. adore. I'm I'm so blessed by that. We had truly. a uh, an auction this afternoon. You know, as I said, we're on the serenade out here in some place in the Caribbean. I don't even know where we're going. Floating on the Caribbean. And uh, we had an amazing auction today. One of our what we call our VIP auctions. And I'm so happy for the collectors that acquired your work. And I know that they are going to look back years from now and be so happy that they got a chance to meet you and acquire one of your beautiful paintings and i know that your destiny as long as you keep working hard and doing what you're doing and stay healthy you're going to be a giant dude i know you're going to be one of the great ones i want to encourage all of our listeners if you haven't seen patrick's work you can go to the park west website uh parkwest.com parkwestgallery.com and see some of his, his paintings but i have to caution you you can't really capture the essence of Patrick's work in a reproduction. Um, I oftentimes talk about, you know, with with really, really good art, 
it's the phenomenological experience, the sensorial experience yeah. of looking at art. Yeah. And that's what's so wonderful about it. When you're standing in front of a Patrick Guyton painting and you're drinking it in with your senses, it's an experience like no other, and you can't replicate it in pixels. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't can't. happen. Or a re reproduction in a book. It's the, it's the living experience, and that's why you're always going to be great and special. And thanks Thank for you. being with us on the program. Thank you, more. And uh, I can't wait to see you again. Yeah, you All too. Right. All okay. right. Be well. See you. Thank you for listening to Park West Gallery's Behind the Artist. To learn more about Park West Gallery's family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media. You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.